Welcome back everyone to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua Dub underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I am thrilled right now because I have the amazing opportunity to speak with Dwight Carter. He is a nationally recognized school leader from Central Ohio, and he has been so busy. I I feel like every time I'm pulling up social media, he's somewhere else speaking, writing a book, contributing, and I'm so excited to have a conversation with him this evening. So Dwight, thank you so much for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Josh, man, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Like I said, like I've admired your work from afar. I think this is our first time having a conversation. It is. So we've been we've been connecting through social media for quite some time. I admire your work as well. Well, I, I am honored, sir, and I'm super excited to learn about your background, your journey, and mm-hmm. what you're up to today. So this is my I'm starting my 28th year in education, which is which blows my mind that I'm I'm, I'm approaching 30. Uh, I remember when I was when I started, it felt like 30 years was going to be so far away, <laughs> and I and I'm doing things I never thought I I never dreamed about, aspired to be. It's just things just happened over time. So I, I started my career in a um, suburban district in Central Ohio called Gehenna, uh, specifically Gehenna Jefferson Public Schools. Started out as a middle school social studies teacher, and uh, so I did that for three years. And while I was a, a teacher in at the middle school middle school South. To be specific, I was also the head track coach for middle school East, seventh and eighth grade boys and girls. So I had about 220 rambunctious middle schoolers that I was trying to corral. And, and I had three um, new assistant coaches who were who never coached before. It was my first coaching experience. It was their coaching, their first coaching experience. So we, we really had a great team, had a lot of fun. And I was also coaching um, freshman football at the high school level. So I was in three different buildings in the district, which gave me an opportunity to really connect with a lot of students, get to know a lot of staff members and administrators. So after three years at Middle School South, I got hired at Gahanna Lincoln High School to teach social studies to ninth grade students. And it was a course called Global Studies, which is like freshman level world history. Right. And I had a unique opportunity to have some of my middle schoolers who I coached. I was able to have them in the classroom. And then some of the football players that I coached, I was able to have them in the classroom. So that was a fun experience. Did that for five years. And during that time, we had, uh, had a, a principal named Sherry Dunlap. And for whatever reason, Sherry Dunlap took a liking to me and started really mentoring me without me really r- realizing that. Right. One day she, she approached me and came to my classroom and says, hey, we're starting something called Critical Friends Group and asked me if I heard about it. Never heard about it at all. I thought it was a little hokey name. And so she explained it and described it. And, I, and she says, well, I'd like, like for you to go through the training to be a facilitator. And that blew my mind because I was only, what, six, seven years into it, mm-hmm. into the profession. And like I said, she's, for whatever reason, she saw something in me. So I went through the, facil- the facilitator training and the group started while I was going through the training. So we had a really tight knit group. And the, the, the sole premise of Critical Friends was to have courageous conversations about our work to observe one another, give clear, specific feedback, mm-hmm. focus on our strengths, but also areas of improvement, but it was non-evaluative. So we were visiting each other's classrooms, uh, giving each other feedback about what we saw, what we observed, and we you know, developed some common language and common strategies to really focus on how to improve our instruction. And it was, cl- it was classroom teachers from, you know, we had performing arts, 
uh, English, science intervention specialist, a um, couple math teachers. So we were all different content areas. Mm-hmm. And our commonality was we were you know, willing and had a desire to grow. Right. And it was at that point when I thought about administration. Prior to that, never crossed my mind. Um, so I said, maybe administration is something that I would consider. So then Sherry left and a guy that was probably more instrumental in my career than anybody else, his name was Mark White. Mark White came in to be the principal when Sherry left. So I introduced myself. He's like, yeah, I heard about you. And at that time, I started my master's program to be in, in my ma- master's in administration. And we clicked right away. And so we would have these really thought provoking conversations um, so I was, and he was also, uh, like I said, he was mentoring me during my principalship work. So, you know, you have to have an administrator who oversees and, you know, work through the assignments and things like that. So he, uh, gave me a couple of projects to work on. I was still the, um, critical friends group coach. So I was doing that. Um, it's, I was attending conferences and, and, you know, taking on more leadership roles and in, in the, in the building leadership teams and whatnot. And so it was just, I was growing exponentially those two years. And then late spring of that year, one of the assistant principals uh, got another job in another district. So Mark approached me and says, hey, I don't know if you heard, but Steve Anderson just got another job. Why don't you apply for the principal or the assistant principal position? And I was just like, man, I, I'm not even ready for that. That's not, I'm not sure that's what I want. I said, plus, I still have to do my internship, so I'm not finished with my, my program yet. He said, we know that. He's like, you know what? it'll be good experience for you. Just, you should apply. So I was like, all right, I have nothing to lose. Cause I was, I was, I was enjoying the time in my class, in the classroom. I wasn't itching to do anything different. So like I said, I had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. So I went in there with just the understanding, like this is just the conversation. So it was several people in the interview, uh, interview committee. And I was just very loose and relaxed. Cause again, I had no, no desire and no uh, preconceived notions that I was going to get the job. Right. Like I just, I, it was just a conversation. So a few days later, Mark came back to my room, knocked on the door and just pointed at me and told me to come here. It's right in the middle of class. I'm like, all right, what, what happened? <laughs> so he, uh, he said, I don't know what you said in an interview. And he had this means like scowl on his face. He's like, I don't know what you said in the interview. And I was like, what, am I in trouble? He's like, no, you got a second interview. And he you know, shook my hand and said, congratulations, um, I'm proud of you. And that's when I really freaked out. I mean, I got scared like this thing can actually happen. And I didn't tell my family at all. I didn't tell my mom, my brother. I didn't tell anybody about this. Because again, I, it wasn't anything that I was pursuing. Sure. Nor did I tell anybody on the staff. The only people knew were those who were on the interview committee. So then you know, a few days later, I went to the second interview. And it was the superintendent, assistant superintendent, HR director, uh, secondary curriculum director, special ed coordinator, a couple other people. It was all district office staff. Yep. I was extremely nervous. So they asked a couple questions, a couple scenario things, and then superintendent says, I have you know, one final question. And he slid a, a piece of paper across the desk and says, would you accept the assistant principal position? And I turned it over and it was the contract. Nice. And man, I freaked out. <laughs> I just started laughing hysterically. And they're like, what, what's so funny? And I just like, I can't believe this is happening. So that started my, and that was in 2001. So that started my administrative journey. And I was the assistant principal at Gehanna Lincoln for three years. The first thing Mark told me was that, you know, you were, you've been a teacher in this building. So the transition could be, could be rough and rocky. So you got to be very careful. 
And he says, you know, one thing I want to tell you is like, be prepared to lose friends mm -hmm. because your role has, your role is completely different and you have to, you have to function differently yeah. and differently. And that was the best advice he told me because it prepared me for what was coming. Yeah. So I did that for three years, had a great experience and then became a middle school principal at Gehenna Middle School East, did that for three years. Then I had the, the huge honor and opportunity to go back to Lincoln High School to be the principal. And I was there for six years and Mark was the assistant superintendent, then superintendent. So we worked together, I would say for 14 years, huh. at, you know, as principal teacher, principal assistant principal, and then superintendent, assistant superintendent and principal. So we had a really strong connection. And through our work, uh, we wrote, co-wrote a couple, but three books, actually. Mm -hmm. Our first book was called What's in Your Space? Five Steps to Better School and Classroom Design. And that was based on our work. Um, from a building that we um, that we built together with a whole group of people called Clark Hall. It was an annex to our high school. And we wanted to design it where it didn't look like a traditional high school, but it was much more uh, modern, much more flexible seating, bright colors, natural light, like really catering to the needs of Generation Z. And that um, we won some awards, you know, Scholastic gave us an award for that, received a lot of positive press and you know some prominence there and then during that work leading that work helped me become a digital principal of the year through NASSP yep. again just stuff that I never even envisioned doing or imagined doing but it was all about it, the team that we had together like we had some phenomenal building leaders phenomenal teacher leadership we just jailed we had a great team like everything lined up at the right time so after about six years I was itching for something different I thought moving to another district would scratch that itch. So I became a principal at New Albany High School, which is a completely different environment. It was a high, high achieving, very affluent, you know, high stress environment. So I did that for four years, but I quickly learned probably the end of my first year that I was ready to get out of building leadership. I really struggled there in terms of internally, yeah. you know, externally, I think things were fine, but internally I was really struggling with what I want to do next. Um, I started battling depression again. And that's been, so that's been a, a chronic thing that I've been dealing with as a leader mm -hmm. and working through that. So after four years at New Albany, during that time, I was also a leadership coach and instructional leadership coach for ICLE, the International Center for Leadership and Education. So I was doing some speaking and coaching with them. So I had an opportunity to join a local company called Dynamics with uh, Dr. Tom Fry, Dr. Jenny Hensley. So I left the principalship altogether. I left public education, did that for a year. So I was working with ICLE and Dynamics for an entire year, traveling, started traveling the country a lot more than I anticipated, which was a lot of, that created some tension because, you know, I'm very close to my daughter, close to my wife. We have very close knit family. Of course. So while I was home more, I was also gone for longer stretches of time. So the routines were not really established. And so I did that for a year and then I jumped back into public ed moved into career tech education. It was perfect, perfect timing for me. But I went back as an assistant principal, not the principal. So that was that was a big that shift. was a that was a big <laughs> shift. But it was exactly what I needed because it allowed me to like really tap into my strengths in terms of leading up and providing perspective and supporting the leader. Mm -hmm. So I was the assistant there for two years and that led to an opportunity to become a district administrator um, in the in the same district, Eastland Fairfield Career Technical Schools. 
where I'm now the di uh, director of student support systems. That's awesome. So that's a very long journey, but like I said, I've done several things and it's always been because many others have believed in me and helped me believe in myself in terms of my capabilities and, and strengths. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So Dwight, I love talking to folks that have like different titles within a school district. Yeah. So yeah. the one that you're currently in, what what is that all about? Yeah, as far great as question. Position? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a new position that was created last year. So I just finished my second first year in that position. And Dr. Kim Miller, who's our current superintendent, um, she she had the opportunity to transition into the bill into the district three months while the soup the superintendent was in place. So she was basically just going on a listening campaign, just really listening to stakeholders, listening to staff. And during that time, she was just taking inventory and she recognized that we had significant gaps and some things that were really necessary to remove student barriers to student learning. She and I have known each other for about six or seven years. Um, we have great rapport. It was my turn to have a conversation with her. And the first thing I told her was like, I'm done with building leadership. Like I want to do something different. And she laughed, you know, she's like, I figured you say that. So what did you have in mind? So we talked quite a bit about, you know, just envisioning, envisioning what I can do, what I'm good at. And then she just took all that information from everyone, laid out a strategic plan in terms of our staffing needs. And then she uh, worked on this position um, where it encompasses um, leading our special education department, leading our mental health and wellness, leading PBIS, and everything under like MCSS and everything under that, our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, which was, I was already leading in the, in the district, and um, uh, our guidance and guidance counselors and student services. Right. So my role are in my role, those are all the systems that support student learning and remove barriers. So I my my role is to help provide leadership in the areas that remove barriers to student learning. Mm -hmm. And I have a phenomenal team that I'm working with. It's not special ed mm -hmm. only, it's special ed and all the other things that I listed. So it's a huge job. Yeah, it is. But the beauty of it is I'm able to build the bridge as I'm walking on because it's a brand new position to the district. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility and probably creativity within that role since yeah. you're building it from the ground up. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I've seen you on social media quite a bit. And I think one of the big reasons for that is you got a brand new book out, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so congratulations. Uh, I appreciate that. That's been a, a labor of love. Yeah. And uh, uh, George Koros, he's been on me for years to get this book out. So when the pandemic hit, I no longer had any excuses. I had, <laughs> I had time. Uh, lots of time. Yeah, lots of time. So the book is uh, it's called Be Great, yep. um, Five Principles to Improve School Culture from the Inside Out. The title, Be Great, is actually an, an acronym. And those are principles that I try to live my life by. And that came from, it's just a message that I have on everything that I send out. Uh, instead of saying sincerely or yours truly on a message or email, I'll just, I'll just say be great. And I've been doing that since like 2002, 2000, probably 2005, I should say. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it evolved from a, a phrase to principles. Right. And so those principles are be grateful, be relational, be enthusiastic, be authentic, and be teachable. And the subtitle was the five principles to improve school culture from the inside out. And that came from 
like really thinking about these principles. And if, if we all live out core principles, our behavior will improve school culture, not a program, not a, not a message, not a motivational speech. Mm-hmm. Our individual behavior um, will improve school culture and the outcomes will be what we desire. So that's why it's in, it's an inside out approach, not an outside in approach. So let's talk about that because we can go all the way back to assist principal being on the same campus. I, mm-hmm. I can only imagine what that was like uh, to be a colleague and a friend to now possibly viewed as an evaluator um, yeah. to then, you know, maybe being a principal. Okay. Now I have the job of setting the tone for the campus yeah. or we could even talk about maybe going to your brand new district where it's a completely different uh, set of problems and community yeah. and whatnot. So, you know, as a building leader, what are some things that are some strategies that you use to improve the school culture? Well, first, first and foremost, focus solely on building positive relationships. Yep. And that's just getting to know people, listening to their stories, being open and being supportive and then making sure there's a high level of trust. When that trust is violated, it's not impossible to get it back, but it makes leadership a lot more challenging. And so you have to give grace, but if you want to expect grace to be given to you. And so that was something that I learned throughout the years. Um, but ultimately, it's, it boils down to the types, of, the types and strength of relationships that you establish with your staff and then your students. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if staff have a supportive relationship and a um, trusting relationship, they're much more effective. They have that psycholo- psychological safety where they can take risks without, you know, fear of judgment or ridicule or, you know, poor evaluation to, you know, really do what's best for students. And so um, that's, that's, that's foundational. And then tying that to into some of my principles of, of being grateful is constantly uh, recognizing staff for doing the things that are, are aligned to our core values. I think I did that extremely well in providing either handwritten notes or some other tangible um, recognition for a job well done. And it wasn't about meeting a certain achievement standard. It was more like making progress towards a goal or mm-hmm. just, like I said, doing something that's aligned to our values. So I think as leaders, if you recognize and reward what you want, you'll get more of that. So you re- you're reinforcing those expectations. Mm-hmm. That was always a part of my leadership journey because that's what was done to me. Right. So that's what I learned to do, and that's what I I still aspire to do as well. So I want to talk about the climate piece, right? So, yeah. How do you assess or take the pulse of your campus, or for now, as a district leader, you know, mm-hmm. potentially multiple schools to make sure that things are running the way that you want and that the climate is is positive. A lot of listening. Um, again, because we you know, the trust and relationship, people will tell you, they'll talk, you ask questions, they'll tell you, and, they'll, and, they'll, and, they're, and they're honest. The worst thing we can do is when we ask the question and they tell us something we don't want to hear, if we get defensive, we shut that down automatically. Right. We, won't, we won't get their honest feedback about how the climate and the culture is. And, and so, you know, essentially, I dive deep into what the difference is between those two. So culture is the beliefs, norms, traditions, um, and values that the staff, the, the adults model on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. That's school culture. Climate is the feel of the school. And the climate can go up or down based on an, an event or an experience that happens. And this is something that's evolved over time. I, I used to believe culture was created by the students. 
But the reality is the students come and go. The staff is there, you know, more, much more longer. Yep. So they create the traditions, either the known and unknown or verbal or nonverbal traditions and norms that exist in the school. So we got to make sure those those behaviors are aligned to the outcomes that we want. And that's where leadership comes into play. And then especially to, in today's today's like rapidly changing times and how volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous things are, uh, we have to as leaders, we have to provide a lot of clarity, um, explain what's changing, but also what's staying the same so that people can just feel some type of some type of stability to do their best work and be present their, their best their best selves to to the students every single day you talked about gratitude and i think that's something that i want to maybe hone in on a little bit more because you know i don't know how your campus was but i know for mine at the end of the school year everyone was just tired <laughs> they yeah. were just re- ready for the break and uh, yeah. it was just a lot tougher of a year than everyone anticipated and mm-hmm. I know as myself and our administrative team, we were constantly thinking of ways to show gratitude to our staff because obviously the teachers were working hard and we, we mm-hmm. wanted to show our appreciation. So what are some things that you do either at the building level or at the district level to show gratitude toward your teachers? I would say at the, at the district level, and this is something that, you know, I think every district leader can do is that the, we gave the gift of time. Nice. So what, if, when we had a PD day, we didn't start right at, 7:45 during the contractual day our superintendent acknowledged that people were tired and you know she's like hey you you may need some time for extra planning so we're going to start at 8 30 you can choose to do what you want with that time if you whatever you want with the time it's just yours yep. and what we found though uh, what, what we what we saw was that just the effort of giving some additional time people still showed up on time because it gave them an opportunity to be away from home and to focus on something that they really wanted to do for them. And they were so appreciative. It, it cost no money. It wasn't a huge decision. We didn't have to get a committee together to do it. And obviously she talked to the leadership team about it, but it was more like acknowledging the fact that, you know, mental and physical exhaustion is a real thing and was a real thing. And so if people appreciated the time, which in turn, um, they were much more, uh, attentive and engaged during the professional development. That's the first thing. And the second thing is during those PD days, don't, don't, we didn't fill the time up with something every single minute of the day. We gave reflection time and time for breaks and time for transitions and, you know, time for just decompression and, and, uh, you know, and collaboration and conversation. And so again, that was very much appreciated, appreciated. Second or third thing you can do is, you can always provide food, yes. uh, you know, uh, food always helps and it's food that the, that the staff likes. Mm-hmm. That's at the district level. At the building level, it's, you know, publicly recognizing specific recognition for things that are, that are aligned to the goals that you have for your building. Uh, I think blanket, we appreciate you, that, that doesn't go well anymore. People need specific feedback, praise recognition for the specific things they're doing for students for one another uh, to improve the climate and culture so the more specific specific leaders can be i think the more genuine they'll come off and the more appreciative teachers and staff members will be so dwight i always love asking my guests about actionable items so if (laughs) 
there is an aspiring or current leader that is listening and they can do something tomorrow, next week to enhance your leadership skills, what would you recommend? Learn to ask good questions and listen to the responses. Because um, again, as the world is, and I talked about it earlier, it's just, mm-hmm. it's called a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Um, the best thing leaders can do, aspiring leaders to do is learn to ask good questions and to listen to the responses take those responses and then put those into actionable steps to, you know, solve problems, um, make changes, but don't make changes without getting people involved in the process. Right. And so I think listening, listening to other people, collaborating with other people and then making sound decisions. And I think another step, which I learned from Mark White and several other leaders that I, that I admire and who've been mentors to me is that they're really clear on whose decision it is. So for example, I was taught, and this is what I, you know, how I was a building leader as well, is like there's three types of decisions. There's my decision, there's your decision, and there's our decision. Um, Another leader that taught me that is Steve Bowler, Stan Stan Tall Steve. He's very specific in in what that is. So when it's my decision as the building leader, that's communicated as well. So that, and that just means I may seek input, but ultimately that's my decision. So like hiring, for example, that's that's typically a building leader's decision or a district leader's decision with input from staff members. Yep. And but it has to be communicated that I'm getting your input. You're not making a decision that way. No one is upset when the decision is made because they know the expectation going in. When it's our decision, it's input like in my voice, the leader's voice is one amongst equals. We're making this decision, this is this decision collectively, and we're all gonna own this decision. Mm-hmm. And then when it's your decision, I, I just have a I have a voice just like you. And whatever you decide, I'll support that 100 percent But you own that decision. Good, bad, right or wrong, beautiful or ugly, you own that decision, I'll support it. And so and you and but when you make those when you communicate those three types of decisions, you have to also follow through with those three types of decisions. And so I learned the hard way, you know, when I didn't actually follow through with the decision, but I also learned a much more positive way when I was very clear on who's making a decision and why, when, why that decision was happening. I think things went a lot smoother. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, Dwight, I am going to say that any of my listeners right now need to jump on their phone or (laughs) their computer and follow you on social media. So how may they do that? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dwight underscore Carter. That's Dwight underscore Carter, D-W-I-G-H-T underscore C-A-R-T-E-R. Uh, you can also email me at Mr. Dwight Carter at gmail.com. You can also find me at LinkedIn at Dwight L. Carter. And same on Instagram as Dwight Carter. I'm going to have all of those in the show notes, like always. And then I'll have a link to Dwight's brand new book. Again, Be Great. Five Principles to Improve School Culture from the Inside Out. Make sure you pick that up. It's going to be a fabulous resource for any leader, so make sure you grab a copy as soon as possible. Dwight, you are doing amazing things every single day, and it has truly been an honor not only to you know talk with you on social media but then have a conversation with you today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Pleasure's all mine, Josh. Appreciate you, man. Are you excited that in-person conferences are back? 
I know I am. In fact, I'm excited to announce that I'll be at the 2022 Teach Better Conference this October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio. I'll be recording episodes live in Podcast Row, attending sessions, speaking, and connecting with a whole bunch of amazing educators. It would be awesome if you could join us. Head over to teachbetterconference.com slash register and use the code ASPIRE2022 to save $50 off your two-day registration. I hope to see you in October.